Welcome to part two of our Writers of Justice episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron channel. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Now, we're going to go through this kind of quick, Alex, because we also have to talk a little bit about the livestream for The Cure. But mm. before we get to livestream for The Cure, let's tell our patrons what's on the patron channel uh, right now. Uh, of course, you're starting with the Travolta's tier, the ground floor. If you're there, you have access to all the stuff that we cut out of this episode and all previous episodes. Uh, also, on the Travolta's tier... On the ground floor, you have access to our bonus episodes. We put out at least one every month. This month, we have an episode on Southland Tales. As Alex likes to say, the last brave original movie that The Rock ever did (laughs) and will ever do. Accurate. This episode should be dropping April 20th. So the Southland Tales episode might not be up yet, but it'll be there before the end of the month. Along with part one of Lohan. Lohan, the, the Alex, I'll let you talk about Lohan because that's your baby. Yeah, just the career retrospective of Lindsay Lohan and hopefully of the brighter days to come because, man, I don't know of a greater example of the 21st century of a, of a rise and fall so salacious in nature from the coverage that it received, but also uh, for quality of movies because there were some bangers that she put out initially and then we'll cover those and uh, we'll cover some of the, I don't know what the opposite of a banger is, a stinker. Uh, there, there's <laughs> definitely some of those when she fell out of favor with you know, a lot of studios and people in positions of power. And um, we're going to be doing an episode as well that will uh, document the first episode of Saturday Night Live she hosted and the most recent one, which I believe had uh, close to like a 10-year gap between them. And also some of the appearances she did on television shows in between. So, four-part miniseries. It will be coming... On the last Friday of April, May, June, and July. Uh, the last episode will be a Christmas in July. Her most recent uh, Christmas film from Netflix will be discussing. That will be free to all, but the first three parts will be patron exclusive. Just a $1 subscription will get you access to that. So if you haven't already, be sure to check that out. Lohan, all caps, in the font of the Logan <laughs> poster. Keep that in Black mind. Black and white. Black and white. Lindsay Lohan's like hand holding a, a Prada bag or something. And then it just says <laughs> Lohan. <laughs> what do they call it? The Mean Girls? Is it the Burn Book? The Burn Book. Yep. She's holding the Burn Book. That's yes. What you see. Yes. All right. So that is uh, on the ground floor. That's the that's a $1 tier. You can go up. You can keep going. If you go to the Winonis tier and upwards, you also get our pre-recording notes. You get our quick video reviews. This uh, month, we're doing a dual quick video review requested by Paul. Filmbusters Paul is making us watch Teen Titans go to the movies. And then, of course, we have Contrarians After Hours. <laughs> That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're playing, that we're watching, that we're reading, that we're thinking about. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Okay, so I don't know if we're ever going to have an opportunity or a desire to discuss this movie in full on the podcast, but I rewatched Crazy Heart recently, and I got some <laughs> some shit I got to get off my chest about that movie. So we're going to talk about Crazy Heart, and then also there was a series on Netflix that I binged today. I just had it on in the background during work. Um, that I started with like an excitement 
just based on the title, it's a series called Worst Roommate Ever. And I was like, oh, man, this could be awesome. Just talking about, like, you know, nightmare stories of, like, you know, the trash overflowing and stuff. And uh, it, it, it was way darker than that. It w- w- <laughs> went to some places I was not expecting. Uh, but it was, like I said, it was on during the background while I worked today. And I went through the whole first season. So I'll give uh, my surface level thoughts on Worst Roommate Ever and then some more uh, animated and passionate thoughts about Crazy Heart. What uh, are you bringing to the table, Julio? Well, Alex, speaking of binging, uh, Kelly and I just plowed through the first two seasons. Well, technically, the second season is still going, but uh, uh, everything that's available to binge, we binge of the show Ghosts. So, yeah, I'll tell you about that show. And then I watched The Thing from Another World, which is the movie that inspired John Carpenter's The Thing. Have you seen the, the original thing? Uh, I don't believe so. Okay, so I might convince you to do it because I, I watched it and I liked it. So Ghosts, The Thing from Another World, Worst Roommate Ever, is that the, the name yeah. of the disturbing show? <laughs> and of course, Crazy Heart. That is your After Hours and all the other stuff that we mentioned. That's also on the Patreon channel. If any of it sounds interesting, Check it out, patreon.com slash contrarian prime. Look at our tiers. See if you would like to join the contrarian supplements. As Julio mentioned, $1, $3, $5, and $10 are our respective tiers. $1 will get you entry on the ground floor for you to take a look around and see if this is something you'd like to offer more contribution towards. And trust me, once you get there, you'll figure out that you do. And that's because we provide the goods. I can't stress enough. You know, we try to keep these episodes pretty tight for general consumption, but uh, these miniseries, we go, we go all the way in, we go <laughs> to the balls on the the miniseries on our patron page. So be sure to check that out. Yes, follow the example of new patron Olga. Welcome, Olga. She has joined the Contrarian Supplements since our last recording, and uh, as we like to do, here's a shout out to a new patron, Olga Gerlukovich from Metal Gear Solid Two. Maybe. She she decided to keep her last name a secret, so let's say it is. The daughter of Colonel Gorlukovich? Yeah, I, I'm fine with that. She's the first boss battle in that game. A badass. Olga, sorry. You're, you're in my head now as <laughs> Olga Gorlukovich. <laughs> well, you can be like Olga. You can join the cool kids. Patreon.com slash Contrarian Prime. Yes, noted cool kids that immediately make Metal Gear Solid 2 references. <laughs> Anyway, Julio, we may go to the balls on our patron page, but when it comes to better causes, we class it up a little bit more and we just we go to the heart. Together, we can make a difference. That's been the sign off for everything live stream for the cure related ever since the event began back in 2017. Hello, everyone. My name is Nick and I am the host of the live stream for the cure an annual charity event to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute for immunotherapy research for a world immune to cancer. And over the past six years, we've made that difference together. Amazing listeners, amazing viewers, amazing podcast partners and content creators all coming together, and we've raised over $70,000. But this year, we're going to make our biggest difference to date, and we're going to raise $25,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. Tune into the event at twitch.tv slash livestream for the cure starting May 18th as we're joined again by podcast partners and content creators from around the world 
to help the Cancer Research Institute crush cancer. Together, we will make a difference. The live stream for The Cure has been going on for a while. And uh, if you've been listening to the show for at least a year, then you know that uh, we like to be part of it. We like to uh, ask our listeners to join us over there when we live stream. Uh, This year, we're going to be there on Saturday, May 20th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That means it's like, what, Alex, 3 p.m. Central? Yes. All right. uh, 1 p.m. on the Pacific time zone. 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just figure out that's when our segment uh, is going to be. And we're going to be doing something similar to what we did last year. Last year, our actors were Denzel Washington, Cameron Diaz, Kate Winslet, and Robert De Niro. We had members of the audience throw movies from those guys uh, at us and then... Right there, in real time, we came up with our own contrarian treatment. What would we say on the show if we were doing those movies? And we had our goalposts. If we raised a certain amount of money, we would do uh, The Bone Collector, then Labor Day, then being John Malkovich, then Goodfellas. And uh, obviously, for those of you paying attention, (laughs) we ended up doing all those episodes at the beginning of this year because we hit all our goals. So hopefully we can do the same again this time. Uh, The actors and actresses that will be part of... uh, this live stream batch. TBD. Uh, TBD. We haven't decided yet, but uh, we'll be announcing that probably over the next couple episodes. What you can uh, expect, though, is that in addition to all the fun that we had in the previous live stream, we're going to be adding an extra uh, feature, and that is we're going to bring the Josh Gat Minute to the live stream. Uh, those of you who watch our videos on YouTube and Facebook uh, are familiar with this. Is uh, where we cast Josh Gat on whatever movie we're talking about on those warm-up videos we do. So now when you give us a movie on the live stream, in addition to giving it a contrarian treatment, we'll also put Josh Gad on it because uh, we're big Josh Gad fans. And that's that's something that nobody else does. Uh, somebody has to. So mark your calendars, May 20th, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. More details to come, but wanted to give you at least a month heads up so you're prepared. Now... Let's go into real talk. Let's get back into uh, whatever this movie is. Black comedy, Christmas movie, action awesome. movie. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Let's go to real talk. Alex, I want to open real talk with the the most pressing question, which you kind of have answered, but I, I just want to know if you're serious about it. Is this a Christmas movie? Yes. Why? It ends on Christmas. So that's all it takes? Just the, the, the location, the, the the fact that Christmas makes an appearance? It's not just that Christmas makes an appearance. It's the fact that like there's a feeling of family and like happiness at the end, surrounded by Christmas sweaters and Christmas music. Um <laughs> If Die Hard's a Christmas movie, which we know it is, then this certainly fucking qualifies. The movie begins with the idea of Christmas shopping and ends with the idea of like what makes Christmas important, and that's like family and togetherness. And there's it, not a there's not a Santa Claus though. It highlights the importance of like thoughtful gift giving. Gifts aren't <laughs> there's nothing to them if they're not thoughtful. Uh, Mads mentions Santa at one point. His daughter says, you know, you used to believe in God when you were young. He's like, yes, I also used to believe in Santa Claus. Um, Before I forget, I guess that's like, uh, 
one of the things I took away from this when I was taking notes this time and really like watching it through a a magnifying glass. It's a really interesting part of the story. The idea of like the man who has killed and seen like the the worst that humankind offers being someone who struggles with faith. You and I both have like, you know, where we are in our journeys or lack thereof with faith and that type of thing. But it is so fascinating to me that the majority of like wars and killing in the history of man have been centered around religion. When in reality, you should think that being in war and seeing that would take away your ability to believe in something better. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. So that's kind of like one of the parts of this movie I didn't really think about before. It's like, yeah, this guy's seen nothing but death and like suffering. And you would think being in battle in war is where you see the absolute worst things that you can see in the absolute worst of, you know, your fellow man. So it's impressive. Those people that can maintain their faith coming back from something like that. And, but I think this is uh, an interesting kind of realistic approach to that. Obviously, that's not like a theme or a, a subplot that dominates the movie. Uh, but that one scene in particular where he's talking to his daughter about faith and religion, I thought was pretty fascinating. Um, and again, you know, watching movies like we do with like the the eyepiece that comes over your glass to like magnify it even further. That's kind of how we watch these movies sometimes. And that was one of the, the things I took away in a positive nature. It was very hard to be negative about this movie. I didn't really know where that tangent was going to fit in anywhere else, so I just wanted to get it out of the way. But uh, yeah, 96% Julio, so that means that it was not a perfect uh, reception. So what are these morons, these morons, <laughs> what are these xenophobic folk saying about uh, this Denmark classic, Danish classic, excuse me? They don't like the Danes. We got Daniel Barnes from Dare Daniel. And man, that's Dare Daniel. I'll listen to his podcast. He's really funny. But he says, it's like a Coen Brothers version of Death Wish, only directed with this sledgehammered touch of Peter Berg. I'm here for it if writer-director Anders Thomas Jensen goes for it. But while entertaining enough, Writers of Justice never settles on a lane. That is a lot of name dropping, Daniel. Yeah, for real. Coen Brothers, Death Wish, Peter Berg. I guess that's it. Under Thomas Jensen. <laughs> I I appreciate the turn of phrase. This lich hammered touch of Peter Berg. Having seen my fair share of Peter Berg movies, I think it's fairly accurate. A fairly accurate description. I mean, we did Hancock on the show. I prefer not to remember that. <laughs> what do you think, Alex? Uh, do you see do you feel the Coen Brothers influence in this movie? No. Uh, I think if I squint. I can see it. I guess. I just, I think this movie is wholly unique. Um, I guess the Coen brothers aspect of like kind of quippy, humorous dialogue inserted into really dramatic set pieces, but yeah, like uh racing Arizona Coen brothers, mm-hmm. not, I mean, Fargo. Also. Yeah. Yeah. Fargo. Yeah. I guess if I'm trying to, yes, but watching this, that would that's something that I would have never come to a conclusion of on my own. In the American remake, William H. Macy will be the the gang leader. <laughs> the final you, boss. You joke, but I'm down. <laughs> At the end, before Matt Smickelson kills him, what did we ever do to you? <laughs> <laughs> 
What did we ever do to you? <laughs> All right. Uh, next, Charles Bromesco from the AV Club says, though the goal is melding brawn and brains via the effective bonding agent of dry levity, these separate forces act in uncomfortable opposition to one another. I think in layman's terms, he's saying that the comedy and the action don't work together very well. And in the words of Adam Sandler, I retort, I disagree. (laughs) Um, Next, Chuck Bowen from Slant Magazine says, Ultimately, Anders Thomas Jensen cannot reconcile the fact that the mature story of men in crisis doesn't coherently mesh with suspense scenes in which his protagonist viscerally annihilates a violent gang. But it does mesh. I saw it. (laughs) I've seen it. Yeah, twice. (laughs) Um, And then here's a special treat because, I mean, as we like to do, whenever one of our patrons gives us a pick, we we tell them, hey, do you have anything that you would like to say about it? And in Katie and Oti's case, they are tomato meter critics now. They're on Rotten Tomatoes. They're on the tomato page. And uh, I was able to just go and grab a screenshot of their... Tomato quotes. OT says, Mads does a really brilliant job in bringing this character to life. Regardless of his emotional disconnect he has for himself and people around him, we still connect with him because of his performance. And KT says, I was worried it would be too heavy, but there are definitely moments of levity via the lovable misfits we learn to love along the way. I'm sure you agree with all of this, Alex. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you tell me that you had trouble connected with Matt Mickelson because of how uh, disconnected he was from everything else. No. The only trouble I had with Matt Mickelson in this movie is that I read it only took him two months to grow his beard. And that is like, <laughs> I, Offensive. I am so jealous of like that level of masculinity, that level of testosterone. You know, if I let my facial hair grow for two months, it would be, maybe a quarter the length and just splotchy and gross and nasty. So Mads, I, I am in your debt, sir, as a man to man. <laughs> it's that new masculinity people are talking about. For real. Um, no, I, I think this movie is just nearly perfect for what it tries to do. So I appreciate people's comments and uh, KT and OT. I'm glad to hear that they enjoy it. Uh, and those negative comments that you just read, uh, you know, I can't tell someone to interpret something differently, but um, I think they either one overthought it or two, like kind of missed what it was going for. Well, I think that the, the key, like the crucial element is whether you can enjoy the, the mixture of comedy and drama. This is true. This is like my dad, when me and Lillian watched this, Lillian loves this movie. And so we put it in the Christmas rotation last year. Cause after I did my QVR on it, I got, I bought the Blu-ray immediately. And, um, so my dad, one argued that it wasn't a Christmas movie and we both scoffed <laughs> at him. And yeah, he had a really hard time like finding humor in situations right after like people were like, viscerally gunned down in the street 
whereas I don't have an issue with that. You know, he for like for context, I also think Hamlet Two is like one of the funniest movies to be released during my lifetime. And I remember watching that with him once, and I don't think he laughed one time uh, because you know it's <laughs> making light of like crucifixion and shit like that. So, um, yes. Me, you, the typical people I run with and discuss film with don't really have a problem separating those things. So it's easy for me to immediately just be like, assume everyone's okay with that. But it's a very good call out. There's some very gratuitous violence in this movie that's quickly followed up by things that I find really funny. But if that type of like tonal shift fucks with you or you're unable to like roll with that, it's not going to be a movie for you. It's actually a, a three-part thing because it's not just the the brutal violence and the comedy, but also the the emotional violence. And I think that that's the, yep. the harder for yep. me. That was that was the biggest thing because the yeah the violence. I mean, I was well, like you said, I have no problem with that. I mean, I think that uh, something like smoking aces is really funny. Hell yeah! But the kind of like I was saying, Contrarian's Corner. Only I was not being serious there, and just the idea that this two-hour action comedy is also punctuated by these really hard, like, dramatic scenes uh, where every time that it's revealed what one of the main characters, you know, what hang-up they have, uh, where they they just fall apart. And mm-hmm. you're seeing it happen, and I was like, oh, but I was laughing five minutes ago, you know? It was funny. And and then suddenly they're crying and it's just bare emotions. And I think that that's more likely to really confuse people and put them off. Because I think that the, the idea of mixing comedy with violence, it's not that outlandish. I mean, I think that, yes, there are people like your dad, for example, that would be just turned off just on that level. But then a lot of people can get past that. But mm-hmm. then you have to reckon with the fact that, I mean, it's heavily implied that Leonard was it's not even implied i mean it's just yeah. basically said it that he, leonard was abused by his father and that's some really heavy shit and that would be like the one thing in the movie that i would say is where it's a bridge too far for me uh because you know the culmination of like that character trait is when he thinks marcus is going to beat him up and so he just like drops trow and gets into a submissive position thinking that he's about to be sexually assaulted. Uh, and that's kind of okay, like, do you think, cause that's what I thought the first time I watched the movie. And this time I decided to give him the benefit of the doubt. I was like, maybe not that this makes, I mean, well, I don't know. I thought maybe he was just thinking he was going to get spanked. Like his dad, like it's still you mm. know, disturbing, but uh, that's why I told myself that maybe it's, it kind of works because I agree with you like that is the one moment in the movie that jolts me out of it mm-hmm. and it's just such a disturbing sight you know especially and because you're kind of laughing at yeah. it. you know you're like he keeps poking the bear but i also think that it ties in with the fact that he's the one that befriends uh god you have to forgive us listeners cuz we're Matilda? not used to these names no badashka Oh, whoa, whoa, yes, 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 yes. You know, because Badashka, that is 100% clear that he is, now he is being yes. uh, sexually abused. And so it's no coincidence that Leonard is the one that sees him first, and Leonard's the first one to plea for his life. 
And then they're the ones that have the closest bond, you know, or Leonard's the one that has the closest bond with him uh, once he becomes part of the of the gang. And so it's not like he was just there for nothing, uh, you know, the implication that that Leonard was abused, but it's still, I, I agree with you. I think that that is like the one note that might be a little too harsh for for the rest of the movie. But then, you know, you have stuff like that. You have uh, Emmenthaler breaking down after... Mm-hmm. being unable to kill someone. And that is something that is, it goes like much harder than you would expect on your average movie. Cause you would think that, okay, he's going to freeze, but you don't expect him to freeze and then have just like this meltdown where, where you just feel bad for him. You know, it does make the end of the movie more satisfying in the sense of like, yeah, they kill people, but it's like they, it's because they go through more of that grounds of bonding and they want to protect each other. And I think it's the, it, it's the interesting thing of like they can't kill anybody just in cold blood, but when their own is threatened, they can defend them. You know what I mean? Yes. But that that's the other thing that I was, uh, I mean, I had to come to terms with the fact that I don't care. I think that the ending is awesome. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that they come out guns blazing, save the day. It's a fuck yeah moment. Because you're right, they couldn't even hit the bottles earlier. Uh, you know, the Leonard and, and Otto, and then at the end, they're all shooting. Even uh, Bodashka is is shooting. Yes, yeah, everybody comes out. <laughs> it's awesome. That that is like fuck. I can I I've made this reference before. You think I would actually look it up so I could reference it correctly? I can never remember what movie it is that John Wayne had that line of like, well, because then there would be no movie. That's like <laughs> if someone like. Was like, what was the point of that ending? That's you're exactly right. To be like, you know what? I don't care. It's fucking awesome because there there would be no movie if there wasn't that ending. But because, well, for two reasons: one, because we were doing an episode on it, and I was like, I I knew that there was something that didn't sit well with me uh, about that that final climatic scene, and then having to do Constraints Corner about it made me have to think about it and verbalize it, and it's it's a little bit what I was saying, which is that. It seems like a weird thing to to end your movie with. Like a movie that was so much about criticizing the Matt Mickelson character, right? Like he's as much of a pain in the ass as uh, Sirius is. Is that his name? The, the boyfriend? Yeah. Uh, he is right when he's kind of psychoanalyzing him and telling him that the way that Mickelson handles grief and handles trauma and handles his problems is violence. He is right. I mean, he's a little pain in the ass, but he's he got him pegged right. And it, it's pretty obvious, right? Uh, just from the way that he behaves and everything. So then you you pair him with these characters that are not violent at all. And that when they try to be to be violent, they realize that it's it's actually it's a big deal to kill someone, to be violent. It actually, you know, it's one thing to do it in your head. Another thing is to actually do it. And it's everything is set up in the movie to kind of tell you that violence is not healthy. And I understand that at the end, it's, it's self-defense. So it's kind of justified. It's like, well, if they didn't kill the, the writers of justice, then the writers of justice would have killed them. <laughs> but, but because then, the movie ends there. And then who cares? Cause it's Christmas. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All that was missing was Otto going like, ho, 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 motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's just so weird that that's kind of like the the period at the end of the of the sentence. It's just that the scientists take up arms and 
Like, I never felt that the movie was about the fact that they couldn't be violent unless they really cared about the reason for the violence. Mm. Like, I didn't think that that was what the movie was about. And then that ending makes it about that. It's like, yeah, they were unable to get their shit together with the guns until Maddie and her dad were in danger. And then they become badasses. I was like, that is very exciting to see. But it doesn't seem to fit the message of the movie because I thought that what the movie was saying is, this is wrong. You know, like, Matt never should have gone after the writers of justice uh, and uh, and they never should have encouraged him. And then once they realized that, that, that he was a loose cannon, they should have tried to do something, you, you know, they have all these, all this technology and all these brains at their disposal and they can't come up with a better way of, of figuring things out other than just blunt revenge. And I guess it feels like the movie's setting up to be a much smarter version of something like that sentence. And it is because this movie is way smarter than that sentence. But in the end, they end up saying the same thing. <laughs> Just like when it all, when it's all over, all that matters is that you have the better guns and that you can shoot them faster than the guy that's against you. So that's kind of weird. Again, I don't care because by the time that the movie's done, like with that sentence, I think this is how you felt at the end of that sentence, right? I had all these quibbles with Kevin Bacon and how the, the story goes and you're like I don't care because it's pretty awesome when he <laughs> when he pulls the gun and you know we know that he killed uh, what's uh, that guy Johnny Five what's that guy's name um, don't say it people screaming into their earbuds right now it is Garrett Headland. yes Garrett Headland. it's it's badass like I don't have that reaction but I have that reaction at the end of Rights of Justice I, I am 100% committed and I'm like I don't care that the movie is betraying its principles <laughs> I just care that they killed all those fuckers and it's awesome and and everybody gets yeah gets and I mean you can you also like Otto has a thing of you know he said he was never going to kill anybody but he has grown so close with Mathilde or uh, Matilda, I swear to God, I heard him say Matilda multiple times. So uh, to any of our Danish listeners, let us know, how do you say it correctly? But he, prote- you know, he's, he makes good. He protects this new, like, person he sees as his daughter. And yeah, you're exactly right, though. Like, at the end of this, I'm like, I don't care. Of course it's Christmas. This is awesome. Like, give gifts. Look at the sweater Mads Mikkelsen's wearing. It's amazing. <laughs> The first time I watched it, I remember thinking like, oh, he died. And this is kind of like what she wished happened. But then when it pans out and shows all the bullet holes all over the house, I was like, oh, no, it's really just, you know, it's reality. So um, one thing I forgot about that I like belly laughed at in the climax is when he grabs Leonard and he's like, you're faster than me. There's a box of M10s down at the bottom of the stair. Go get those for me. And he goes down there and he looks at him. He goes, do you want me to take him apart? (laughs) 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 That was great. And when they're building him up and Leonard's like, I come in second or, you know, second place and the guns built backwards and pointing at his face. That that was also really good. Uh, That dude, uh, Lars Bregman, who plays Leonard is, and you know, you got to say that's something transcendent when you and I don't speak a fucking word one of that language. And I, I still want to compliment how funny he is. You know, I, obviously the subtitles help because that's what I believe he's saying. Cause that's what I'm reading, but just mm-hmm. his delivery of some things and like his facial expressions and his body language and the way he reacts to certain things. That dude is really funny. Yeah. 
I know you don't like the comparison to Big Bang Theory, <laughs> but that dynamic of having one brainy guy that's really pedantic and one brainy guy that's more uh, kind of like subdued and has to put up with the with how pedantic the other nerdy guy is. I mean, that is you know execution aside, like that dynamic, that that interplay, that works, you know, for for a reason, and that's. Uh, it's very effective here, just the idea that Otto is the one that kind of has his shit together, and Leonard is probably smarter than him, but also Leonard doesn't have like the social graces that Otto has, which is why they end up losing their jobs, and why uh, when they're meeting with Matt Mickelson, Leonard can't stop bringing up the barn. Uh, that kind of stuff is, is funny. I love the, the detail that when Emmenthaler gets upset... Otto scratches his back. <laughs> yeah. Like that is it's really endearing. It's it's real. Like that's that the kind of thing like calms some people. I mean, that's you know, but I love that they put the detail there. And it's it's just funny because it, it just tells you so much about about them and how far back they go, like their relationships. Uh and it's kind of does they say that's in his and the what do you call it? The dude's rock scene. Yeah. When uh Otto is explaining why. They're all there. He's there, I guess, in a way to make up for the failure he had when he lost his daughter. And then it's like, why why are Leonard and Emmenthaler here? I was like, well, because they don't have any friends. <laughs> He's like, you know how fat people hang out with other fat people so they don't seem as fat? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's they're just, they just tag along. That is a great scene. That scene, like, not kidding. That scene's excellent. And... Mm-hmm. I appreciate how the Marcus character is presented, and obviously Mads is, I mean, we're not breaking any ground here saying Mads Mikkelsen's a fucking phenomenal actor, but just the thing of we see cracks in his hard exterior, and we understand why he is the way he is. You know, in his line of work, you can't really right or wrong, can't show emotion, and he also is trying to put up a hard front for his daughter to, like, put forward a strong front is a strong image of perseverance and whatnot but we see these cracks throughout and then at the end you know when he's crying holding his daughter and whatnot that's kind of uh, but that scene in particular he's trying so hard not to cry in front of Otto, you know and kind of break mm-hmm. and it's it's just magnifique it is awesome and that dude uh nicolage laicas the guy who plays Otto, he is just rocking the shit in that scene. Just absolutely fantastic. And, you know, we, we jested about it cause it's easy to the, the meltdown in the bathroom, the walk the line scene when he comes in and comforts him cause he knows what it's like to go through that level of loss. That's also really excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they have that moment where, uh, uh, Matt Mickelson says, Otto, I don't feel so good. <laughs> <laughs> he looks in the, the shattered mirror and, Says Otto, I think I still have some healing to do. <laughs> um, so how do you feel about the idea, like the, the the whole subplot about them, or about Otto and uh, Maddie trying to figure out the, I guess, the structure of the universe? You know what I'm talking about? Like she has the, mm-hmm. her, her note cards all over her wall her storyboard yeah she's storyboarding the tragedy the tragedies of her life 
and uh, and then Otto had, I guess, at some point, some sort of software where he was trying to also uncover the secrets of the universe, the the, the whole causality of it all. And uh, it is, I guess, I'd forgotten how it keeps that kind of stuff keeps weaving in and out of the of the story. Um, this is only the second time I watched it, and I kept waiting for the movie to just drop it, but then it keeps coming back up. And I think that I've forgotten that it was part of it because you don't really get an answer, at least not one that comes from any of the characters regarding that stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. the closest you get is uh, Otto telling Maddie, well, this is pointless. You know, you can always keep going further back and back and uh, your mind is never going to be able to to grasp it. You'll drive yourself mad, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) even after he tells him that, I mean, the... I guess I felt like the movie was still connecting things. I mean, it ends showing us the <laughs> where the bike went, mm-hmm. right? Kind of circling back to, oh, this is what started the ball rolling. This is what got the ball rolling. This this little girl that didn't want a red bike, she wanted a blue bike, and so it got stolen, and you know, everything's the chain of events started. And I mean, I think I like it. I I think I like that it's there. I, I think that I wish there was more of that in there. I don't know how you add it. You know, I, if if Otto had, I don't know, if he had a clearer idea of, he seems to have a pretty clear idea, actually, when he's talking to Maddie. I, I think that he's come to terms with that. But I don't know. I don't know how it ties into the rest of the story. You know what I mean? I, I guess I, I put it on my, as I was thinking, I was like, all right, I think that by the end of the movie, Yes, it's pointless. You're gonna drive yourself mad if you're trying to make sense of these things. It's uh, the world is chaos, and all you have to do is kind of like take the tragedies and take the good things. And actually, that's something that Leonard says when he's <laughs> having his first uh, fake therapy session. Doesn't he tell her that's not how statistics work? You're still there's still plenty of horrible things that can happen in your life. Just because you have something horrible happen to you right now, it doesn't mean that more bad things can't happen. They probably will, but just as many good things are going to happen. That's just how it works. That's, that's just how life is. And yeah, he tells her, he's like, you could also die, uh, drown in a puddle, but you don't think about that. Right. So I think that that is also, yeah, I don't think that this is on the movie. I think this is on me. I think that, I don't know, I don't think that you got as hung up on this part of the movie as I did. I, I, I just, as I'm talking about it, I can feel like, yeah, I, why do I care so much about this? And I think it's just because I find that idea really compelling. The mm-hmm. the idea of tracking the, you know, because that's something that I, I know I do. You know, it's like when something happens, you try to make sense of it. And a way that you make sense of it is by seeing what made it happen. You know, this led to this, to this. How could we have avoided it? Oh, well, if this had happened, then if this had happened five days ago, then this wouldn't have happened today and that kind of stuff. So I, I the idea that these guys, Otto and Leonard, were working on some kind of machine that would potentially be able to look oh, yeah. so far back into causality that they could predict things. I mean, that is really exciting stuff <laughs> i was about to say it's it, what you're explaining yeah it clearly wasn't for nothing the idea of like odds and statistics and chances and you know the ca- use of phrase causality of it all is it's clearly supposed to be embedded in it and just the the whole idea that the movie begins in, in 
is a very innocuous event that sets into effect this insane series of dominoes that result in countless lives lost and all this shit that happens. And it's really all over. Uh, a blue bike got stolen so that a guy could buy it and give it to his granddaughter for Christmas. And so I think it really presents an interesting idea of you can know, you can be the smartest person in the world, know all these statistics, odds, chances, you know, recite them page and verse and have all this information ready at your disposal to uh, impart on people. But then at the end of the day, something like a bird flapping its wings can make it all not matter, you know? I think that it can also tell you that for every bad thing that happens, statistically, something good is coming out of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so this girl got her, got her bike, but the... I guess you can see it both ways. For every good thing that happens, there's a good chance that it's causing something bad to happen somewhere else and vice versa. And so... Well, even yeah, then, the like, a bad thing can happen, like, uh, a, a girl lost her mother and a man lost his wife, but then at the end, they have, they've gained members of their family, you know? Right. Yeah. If if you stick with it long enough, there is, statistically, you might get some sort of happiness out of it. I mean, that is really cool storytelling and that is something that you don't see in a lot of movies that would be either more action heavy or more comedy heavy or more drama heavy but that this manages to balance all those three things and have this idea yeah just it, embedded you're usually not stuck with a theme of a movie like it, that deep that we're discussing right now in the same movie where multiple times you go, fuck yeah, from like a really just place of your balls. Like, yeah, <laughs> give me a steak and a beer. This is the type of movie to watch that with. And then it's over with. And you're like, man, there's some that, that, that movie right there might have taught me something. I'll tell you what. Uh, <laughs> and son of a bitch I'm looking at the poster for this and I'm uh, Brian Baumgartner is my first choice but I need to drop this in if Brian Baumgartner has a scheduling conflict we're, we're breaking out Paul Walter Hauser to play uh, Emmenthaler that's too easy that is like he was born to play it <laughs> um, but yes this movie is great for some of the lasting power that it has that we've discussed, be it religion or just the idea of fate uh, and what you can and can't control in life. And on top of that, legitimate like belly laughs at certain points where they go out to do the big crossfire. That's when Mathilda had made uh, that banana cake and mm -hmm. Leonard kept talking about getting back so we can have banana cake. <laughs> Whatever the case, what we do have here is a movie that came out um, when COVID restrictions were still very high. And, you know, we live in America, so uh, after, you know, two weeks, it was like, hey, do whatever the fuck you want. But, you know, in certain parts of the world, <laughs> they still took this shit pretty seriously. And based on what I was reading, it sounded like uh, a lot of European theaters still had some pretty tight restrictions. So this movie had a budget of uh, $6.4 million, and it looks like it's overall box office return was just shy of 8 million. Um, a rough time to come out at, obviously, November 19th of 2020. I do so very, very much love that it was in there for the, the holiday season because they know, as I know, mm -hmm. it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> but 
I really, really hope I've done as much as I can to spread the word of this movie, and I really hope it's one. It's not even an old movie. There's still plenty of time for this to get a groundswell. All a movie like this, like all it really takes is the right streaming platform to advertise it, and then it takes off, and people are like, "Oh, have you seen this movie?" And so for that, I will give you know the way we do things now props. Like if this was one of those movies that I know it was on Hulu for a while, um, it's still on Hulu. That's how that's how I watched it. Okay, excellent, excellent. Uh, but like, you know how Netflix will do like those, like the main splash will advertise like a movie, and that's how like a mm-hmm. lot of shit takes off on there. So, Hulu and I will continue to do our part to get the word out. But I, I hope this is one that finds a wider audience at some point, uh, because obviously the majority of the audience that has found it really fucking loves it. Um, that box office return was not enough to hire passable. Uh, voice actors for the English dub because I <laughs> I do own the Blu-ray as I mentioned and it does have an English dub on it and I watched probably the first 30 to 40 minutes with that on because I was like I've seen this I think this was the fourth time I've watched this movie and I was like all right let's see what this is like and first of all <laughs> I don't think you can ever, even though we don't speak the language, I don't think you can ever feel the emotional like resonance and ramifications of a situation if you're listening to someone talk over what the real emotion is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's first of all. like the The dialogue is exactly what's transcribed, but it just doesn't work. I don't I can read what they're saying. And they're speaking a language I don't understand, but I can feel what they're saying in their language. When someone's talking over it, I'm like, okay, this doesn't I, I am feeling none of this. And then two, it was like sub PS one level voice acting. Like <laughs> you know, those really shitty rushed video games that would be based on movies during the PlayStation One era that just had god awful voice acting in it. It was it was bad man and they had you know it wasn't like one person was playing everybody but it was just no disrespect if any of y'all are listening to this i i imagine that's a tough gig because you're trying to speak for someone else but it it was bad uh if if you are checking out uh writers of justice just subtitles and stick to the the native language i was really hoping you would tell me that uh h john benjamin was doing the voice of mads mickelson (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man that i'm tr- uh. <laughs> nick offerman is emmenthaler <laughs> that'd be fucking awesome <laughs> would be but no these just sound like a bunch of white dudes <laughs> so in the end in conclusion this gets better every time i watch it and it's not, I mean, by design, it's a movie I have to be paying attention to. It's not like Drive. I can't throw it on in the background when I'm cleaning or something like that. I guess I could, but then I know my OCD would like hook me and I'd just be sitting down and watching the rest of it. But uh, fantastic Christmas rotation. It's definitely one of the movies I've been most grateful for that we have a patron that it came across for us because, you know me, I wouldn't have found this shit otherwise. And so now I feel the need to like champion it. And wave the flag high and proud for it. I don't know what's keeping me from going all the way to A+. 
I think because I don't want to risk overselling it to anybody who watches it. Like, yeah, that was really good, but it wasn't you know the best movie ever. So I think I still settle on an A. But it, it man, it's fucking great. My letterbox review is four and a half stars, and I I stick by that. And um, you know, I think you and I have done a good job of breaking down any potential like trigger warnings that would come along with it. You know, uh, but if you've listened to this and none of that sounds like something that would potentially turn you off, I I couldn't recommend it enough. Mads Mikkelsen's a treasure, and I know that's not breaking news, as I said earlier, but he's uh, particularly great in this, and everyone else holds their own. I was I had it at four stars after I watched it the first time, and I've been debating if I want to kick it up to four and a half. I think I might. Do it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Christmas. Be generous. <laughs> It's Christmas and it's it's really good. It's really I can tell you what the like that it's not five stars because I do have you know that moment that takes me out of the movie a little bit. It, but it's also yeah. you know they do it for two hours. They actually manage to fairly seamlessly go from really tragic stuff to really funny stuff to really exciting stuff and back and forth and back and forth and. Okay, well, if they have a couple missteps along the way, <laughs> it's like, yeah, but they get everything else so right that n- not to keep going at, on on this, but the character of uh, Bodashka, I mean, in a way, it's even a harder buy, right? Like it's it's even yeah. more tragic than anything else. Like this guy's, but he's kind of he's so lighthearted in a way. You know, it's like they rescue him from basically being a sex slave, and and he just becomes this really caring person, and and has like a couple of really funny laughs that they're able to make that transition. You know, to take that character, and he jokes about the fact he he offers Leonard like he's like, do you want to have sex with me? You know, just so that you can sleep better. I mean, that kind of thing. It's like I don't know how it's that the movie doesn't fall apart <laughs> when when that happens. You know what I'm talking about? Like when he he kind of like it's not like he's propositioning Leonard, but he's offering himself to Leonard because that's just what he's used to. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of thing would just that they managed to orchestrate like the performances and the script. Like it's it's the exact line that needs to be said there, and it's framed perfectly. You know, because you have the shot is on Leonard, and you can see him processing and understanding everything that's going on, and just being really gentle in the way that he responds. I mean. Yeah, it's four and a half <laughs> because Hell they yeah. did so much right. Uh, and actually, I have to give it props to speaking of Badashka. I love the the little story he tells. That oh yeah, I put that in my notes and I forgot to bring it up. The the um, but the bear, the Ukrainian the parable for coincidence or whatever he says. Yes, yeah. because I think that that is actually a really good kind of like bookend to the idea that Otto is dealing with, okay, well, maybe sometimes we just, not maybe, like we definitely, we can't understand this, so we should give up on trying to understand it. And then uh, Bodashka's story is is an example of that, right? Because you're expecting the pattern to be that when they kill this old bear, they're going to find the ring inside. But instead they kill the old bear and there's nothing inside. And that's the point of the story, that there's nothing inside. But everybody that's listening to the story seems really disappointed. <laughs> yeah, like, he did, what was he, the point of that? <laughs> he just kind of lingers on the, on the end of it. And then it shows uh, uh, Matilda. <laughs> She's just kind of like waiting for the story to go on. It's excellent. 
Good call. Yeah. yeah, four and a half stars. They I just remember that 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 absolutely uh confirms that my rating goes up a little bit because I, I really love that that sequence. So that's a massive recommendation from both contrarians. And I know obviously Katie and Odie love this movie. And uh Jason Nerdrovert did too. He's he was the one that uh Gave you that QVR originally. Our buddy uh, Chaz Fisher also. He's he's a, he's in the five star club on this one on Letterbox. Yeah, it, it, we have a lot of a uh, very strong proponents of this movie among our listeners, which is good. And now, uh, continue to spread the word. I know when I mentioned that uh, on Twitter that we were doing this movie, uh, Filmbusters Ben said that he hadn't watched it yet. That this was going to be an excuse to watch it finally. So, God bless. It keeps spreading, Alex. Like a like a good virus, <laughs> much like COVID that doomed this movie's <laughs> box office return, it continues to spread the good word. All right, a resounding endorsement from the Contrarians. Uh, hopefully, Matt, this will reach Mads Mikkelsen, and he'll uh, he'll come on our show and talk about it. <laughs> but <laughs> but in the meantime, in the meantime, we have to look to the future. And Julio, what does that consist of? What's our next episode? Coming up next, Alex, we are going to uh, close the loop on something we promised a while ago. I don't know, whenever it is that I first plugged our friend Dale Bridges, friend and patron, Dale Bridges' book, I said, hey, that book was really funny. We should have him over on the show at some point to do a, a noir movie. And uh, as as fate would have it, he he said, yes, let's do it. Let's do The Long Goodbye. And that's what we're doing next. We're closing April on the main feed with a noir starring Elliot Gould. I that sounds like Mad Libs. That doesn't sound like it does. something that that's true. But no, it is directed by Robert Altman of all people. Robert Altman making his triumphant return to the Contrarians. I guess Elliot Gould is returning too after showing up in two Muppet movies that we covered back in the in the Muppethon. He wanted to bang Miss Piggy in one of them. Yes, hopefully he's up to a slightly less perverted business in this uh, in this movie. I've never seen it. The fact that it's a noir means that so there's a fifty percent chance that I will hate it. Uh, <laughs> very excited, <laughs> but that's that's coming up next. It's fresh, so we'll be we'll be destroying it in Contreras Corner with the help of Dale Bridges, and uh, and then real talk. I guess he'll tell us why it's good, even if we don't like it. All right. Well, that is coming up next. Patrons, I mean, this is your time. So, again, for the second time for myself here in the run of the Contrarians, getting to cover Riders of Justice was truly a pleasure. So, keep them coming. And for any and all potential new listeners, if this is your first time, thank you so much for joining us. But it's time to close the show, so we're going to move into perennial plugs, and we'll start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand and take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothieser is the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, our Patreon page, our merch page. That little tomato looking at himself in the mirror, little tomato doing all sorts of things all over our webpage. That is the work of Hans. So if you like his work, check out his website, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E. Or you can reach out to him on Twitter at mildemonios or email him mildemonios at hotmail.com. Tell him how much you like his work. Ask him to do a logo for you. 
check out his books. He's written a whole bunch of fantasy novels, zombie novels, and he has two podcasts, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. Shout out to the boys at LateNightGrin.com. They've got you covered for any and all professional wrestling podcasting needs. By the time this drops, it'll either be quickly approaching or have just concluded, but they have a monthly show uh, they call Grin Grappler. The Grin Grappler, which they allow me to uh, take part in every month. It's always a great time, and this month we'll be discussing the life and career of the incomparable Rowdy Roddy Piper. You've seen They Live, right, Julio? Yes. Yeah, I have. I was going to say, I've seen the fight, but no, uh, sometime last year, a couple of years ago, I finally sat down and watched uh, the whole thing. So, the lead in that will... I'm sure discussion of his acting career will come up in that as well. But LateNightGrin.com, check out Joe, Rob, Oracle, Matt, the whole gang over there. And our gang, the people who have our back in a very appreciated way, Coriari, Zoe Perez, help uh, with our social media game, make it look real pretty, real presentable. They do it very promptly and in a way that Julio and I could probably never master. It's just not a skill that we have. So... You will find their handiwork, youtube.com slash at Contrarian Prime, Instagram at Contrarian Prime, Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Our Twitter account is in the main bumper. Uh, again, Julio runs that, so all of those thoughts are not signed off on <laughs> by both of us. But our social media game looking real fine, real pretty these days. So Corey and Zoe, we so greatly appreciate the work that you do for us. And again, new or returning listeners we appreciate y'all joining us for yet another episode of the contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we will catch you next time 